The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hour, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about Fraud Avengers, and we have a wonderful guest with us today. Let me tell you about Jody Pratt. She is a principal consultant with Jody Pratt and Associates, and she is the co-founder and director of business development for the Foundation for Payments, Fraud Activism, and Abatement, DBA, FraudAvengers.org. So Jody's been a leader in fraud risk management for the financial services field for more than 35 years. She was in retail bank operations and technology development, and she's worked exclusively on fraud and risk management issues for over two decades, beginning back in 1992 while she was working for the Bank of America. And she's always been wanting to do something that directly serves the public in the area of fraud awareness and fraud prevention. So in 2010, with two dear friends and colleagues, uh, Michelle Edson and Robin Slade, Jody co-founded the Nonprofit Foundation for Payments, Fraud Abatement, and Activism, which launched FraudAvengers.org. Great name. This is a free consumer-oriented fraud education weblog that encourages people from all walks of life to become proactive, know about fraud, become an anti-fraud activist, and know about the choices that they're making with regard to their financial and technology decisions. And so people who go and read the blog at FraudAvengers.org, they can get research on that site, they can subscribe to their monthly newsletter, and really can learn quite a bit. It's a wonderful website, so we're really excited to talk to her. So thank you, Jody, so much for joining us. Oh, Mari, thank you so much for the invitation. Well, let's talk a little bit more about what is FraudAvengers.org. FraudAdventures.org is a weblog, and it's designed specifically for the consumer. It's to help consumers recognize that they are their own best defense when it comes to avoiding many types of fraud, and to encourage consumers to develop an anti-fraud mindset. Um, and finally, to give the public a fresh and free stream of information that they can use to educate themselves on how to identify fraud risk exposure and how to make wise decisions on how to proactively manage that risk for themselves and for their families. That's wonderful. But what makes Fraud Avengers different from there's a ton of other uh, you know websites out there mm-hmm. about fraud mm-hmm. in the Internet today? 
There are several ways in which we're different. First and foremost, we're agnostic. We're not selling anything. The only thing maybe we could say we're selling is the idea that individuals can take actions that improve their defenses against criminals looking to commit fraud. Secondly, our focus is on how to be proactive and to lessen an individual's exposure before they become victims. There are many reactive services out there, um, and they exist to help people once they've become a victim of fraud or to provide a forum for folks to tell the horror stories of, of, of fraud that has occurred to them. But our focus is to advocate for lessening one's exposure in the first place. Because this can go a long way in reducing personal and even small business fraud risks. Third, uh, we are an information and education service. And we provide the latest insights into fraud and fraud prevention. We're not a static website that you might visit once or twice a year. As a blog, we update every business day to inform our readers of new fraud schemes, new payment methodologies, new technologies that they should be alerted to, and also new tools that are at their disposal for um, fraud reduction. And finally, we are actively building a community of fraud fighters in America. We want every person in the U.S. to realize that each of us working individually can collectively impact and slow the growth of fraud in our communities. While there are things that we can't control, there is a lot we can control. Um, as part of this community, we invite the best uh, that's out there from various industries involved in payments or fraud management to contribute consumer-oriented blogs um, in order to provide our readership with a, a well-rounded and robust offering of information, we enjoy writing our own content, of course, and assisting others in telling their personal lessons learned in blogs that you will probably only find on Fraud Avengers. But we also repost blogs from other anti-fraud professionals, and we allow them to repost some of our blogs if they serve the needs of our different audiences um, to get the information out there. Um, Fraud prevention is not, it should not be a competitive issue. It's a community issue, and it's a national issue. Right. It definitely is. You know, we see so much fraud, and we see so many uh, security breaches, and things are not getting better. They're actually getting worse, and we're trying to keep up with the bad guys, and it's not easy. We're trying to, you know, develop as a society new technologies. You know, now we're starting to use the chip in credit cards like they do in Europe, and all sorts of things to, to you know, help protect the misuse of identities. And, you know, and obviously we should be holding service providers accountable like Target and all these mm-hmm. other companies who, who really have had some challenges. I mean, a lot is beyond the control of the consumer as well. If there's a security breach, there's really not much I can do to prevent that if it's if my stuff is in there. But so let's talk about what's missing in the equation about what should be happening to help prevent fraud. Well, sure. Um, what's missing is that we are—we have not included fraud control and management in our definition of financial literacy, and we need to ensure that consumers are involved in this fight against fraud. We need to improve the public awareness and the education regarding fraud. They—they they should have an awareness that we can 
each take a proactive role in reducing our own exposure, and we need to have an understanding of how fraud identification may actually start with us. Um, getting a bill for a service we didn't recognize or getting an email from a person or company we don't know or um, a job posting for a job that's requiring us to collect or accept money from strangers. Um, it, and it's really not that difficult in most cases. There are common threads to fraud scams. And most frauds, most threads um, that you recognize um, uh, are, as I said, are common to fraud scams, and the more threads you see, um, the more likely a particular situation is to be fraudulent. Yeah. I think the one thing that I always tell people and that I have to tell myself all the time is always question when you get any kind of email or even a letter or even a phone call because, you, you know, we honest people think other people are honest. And so we have to learn not to be so trusting, right? Absolutely. And I think that's, you know, and even at work, you know, there's so much problem, there's so many problems with the, quote, dirty insider, Mm -hmm. people who work for you that have access. If you are trusting your own uh, bookkeeper, you know, without Mm -hmm. having checks and balances. I mean, people all the time will call our office and they'll tell me, you know, things that happen that they trust somebody. So, you know, we have to, small businesses and large businesses have to be very careful about who they hire and monitor them. We, and, and people who are out and, you know, consumers really have to just stop and question everything and young people have to stop and question and, and take every precaution that they possibly can and it's a it's a big burden for consumers it really is oh, it absolutely is and we're in a society where we were raised to believe to uh to to trust what we hear and that it's rude to question somebody and we simply can't be like that anymore yeah. we really need to be more aware and more, listen to read um, assess the information and the input that we're getting from others. Right. And, it, you know, if they, the, the old adage, if it sounds too good to be true, it is. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So what are some of the common threads that you see in these fraud scams? Well, a good number of scams, and, and as I said, you, you, the more of these types of things that you see in, in your, the email that you get or the letter that you get, the more likely the item is to be um, a fraudulent request. Um, first of all, in most cases, the contact comes to you out of the blue. Right. You don't know the person. You didn't initiate any contact or in any way encourage them to call you. Um, it used to be that these came across in letters all the time. Now they most often come across as email. Letters still occur, but they're, uh, most every, most often we see that kind of thing coming in email. Um, most often they have an urgency to the request that you've got to act quickly for some reason. They very often have aspects of secrecy that you shouldn't tell anyone about it. Don't share it with anyone. Right. They go out of their way to compliment you and make you feel good about yourself by telling you that you have been picked because you are a good person and you're a trusted person and you're, you're reputable and, and that's why <laughs> you specifically have been chosen. By the same token, they also want to assure you that they are good people and they are reputable right. and uh, that they are really, they are good, that, that you should do business with them. If you try to validate information about them uh, in an objective manner, 
for example, trying to go outside of the people or the contact information they have provided with you right. uh, for you, then you will find it's difficult to validate their stories. Things right. don't jive. Um, in the situations where they're including awards or rewards or giving you a percentage of something that they're offering you, oh. you'll notice it's a very large amount, particularly yeah. compared to what it is you need to do to get it. Right, right. If they refer to you that you're winning a lottery or sweepstakes or drawing, think about whether or not you've even entered that drawing. Right. Um, very often there's an international component. Either the contact comes to you from another country or the request is sent to um, for you to send money or to send items to another country. And, of course, good number of them are very poorly worded, lots of typos, misspellings, grammatical errors, and they just don't sound or look like they're professionally crafted. Yeah. You know, Jody, I think another really scary one is besides the emails that we get or the letters that we get is these phone calls. Someone yeah. will say, you know, they're, they're law enforcement calling or they're saying that, you know, the grandmother scheme, you know, where yeah. they say that their grandchild that's in trouble in Canada. Don't tell my mom and dad, you know, yeah. I actually had a client whose mother gave 10, 000, wired $10,000 to a fraudster in Canada. Oh my and gosh. yeah, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, it was horrible. So it's, you it's have so to really for be, people to confirm, yes. no matter what they what somebody says on the other end. But don't tell anybody. Don't tell right. them. Right, you've got to stop and confirm through an objective source. Yes, to, before listening to any of those types of scams. Right, they're scary. They're very they, scary. They are so scary, and and you got to actually. Go online and find out the truth telephone number. If they say they're calling from the IRS, <coughs> which sometimes the IRS will call you. A funny story is I got a call from the IRS a couple years ago, and I thought it was fraud. I didn't believe it. <laughs> and um, I got a call. What I had done by mistake, I don't know. I must have been tired. I put something. I put my phone number instead of my so, my social security <laughs> number. <laughs> the, or the, the first three letters, uh, numbers were were somewhat similar. So I, I messed up, and they called me, and I said, tell me your name, tell me your employee number. I will call back the IRS number that I do know. Yes. And I said, I've a, you know, I myself have been a victim of fraud, and I help people who are victims of fraud. So I did call back, and she was real, and we laughed about it. And she goes, <laughs> you know what? I'm so glad you did that. Yes. But yes. So they may call you, but you still have a right to call the number that you find on the web or, you know, yes, people don't yes, even use a, a telephone smart. book. <laughs> very smart. But Better that, to have a good laugh than a good cry. Yeah, we, we did have a good laugh about that. But I've also gotten calls from fraudsters, you know, and I could tell, you know, well, give me your telephone number. You know, what's mm-hmm, scary mm-hmm. is they can they can um, make, you know, how you see on your phone, you know, who it's from. They can make it look like it's from you know, the sheriff's department, or yeah. they can make it look like for something else. But And so don't be, you know, surprised if that really isn't real because they, they can, can hijack. Yes, yeah, can. yeah. So, yeah, it's, I, you know, you just whether it's by phone, whether it's in person, whether it's 
in a letter, whether it's by, you know, you just have to verify, verify, verify. Stop and question every time. Yeah. You're exactly right. Yeah. Now, you're not saying that we can be total, totally avoiding being a victim just by being aware, right? Oh, I, I wish it was that easy. <laughs> uh, but the reality is that nothing can totally protect us from being a victim of fraud. Right. Our personally identifiable information, the PII, is already out in a number of databases and all databases are at risk for breach. You could be a victim of identity theft right now and not know it. Someone could be portraying themselves as Marie Frank. Oh, and that's, you a, that's already happened to me. Until you stop for a broken headlight, and then the police come back and tell you they're arresting you because there's a warrant for your arrest. Sure. I've had plenty of clients that that happened to, and I myself was a victim, how I got into this back in 1996, is a woman uh, paraded as an attorney using my name. Yes. And, and stealing credit in my name and all that. So, yeah, you, you don't know. You don't you, know. You absolutely don't know. Or, and then you might get, you also got hit by the other common one, which is you start getting collection notice for right. that you didn't incur. Right. Um, and even more importantly, you could be a victim of medical identity yes. theft and not know it. Yes. And that's even scarier because what happens if, if your medical identity is stolen and your records are now containing information of a perpetrator, and let's say you get rushed to the hospital and you have appendicitis, but your records now show that your appendix has already been removed, so the doctors discount that right. as a possibility in trying to diagnose you. Or the blood type is different. Or the blood type is different, yep. and, you're, and you need a transfusion, and you know, right. you're not conscious to be able to provide any information. So the way our information is out there is used or misused, isn't always something that we can prevent. So that's why your personal fraud prevention program should include detection as well as prevention components. Yes, exactly. Now, we don't want to scare everybody to death that they're absolutely going to become a victim, but, you know, it's uh, it's something that's it's pretty close. So it's not a foregone conclusion, correct? It, it, no, it's absolutely not a foregone conclusion that you're, you're going to become a victim, um, even if your identity has been taken or a fraud operator begins down that path. And this is why both prevention and detection are so important uh, to fraud defenses. Even if you have unknowingly been a victim of ID theft, the more you keep yourself informed of the various types of fraud schemes are out there, the more likely you are to recognize and detect one um, and detect the, the, the theft or the scam before real damages are done. And this is one of the areas where fraudadventures.org is most helpful. We supply readers with daily bites of interesting and practical anti-fraud information to help readers learn about potential fraud scenarios and to learn that it is okay to question. With each blog, we like to point out choices each reader can make to both minimize their upfront, but also more quickly detect signs that their their identities have been compromised um, if that has occurred. In the static portion of our site, the evergreen portion of the site, we talk about a lot of common scams and ways to recognize scams to help the reader develop a stronger intuition about what may be an attempted fraud and tangible actions that can be taken to help confirm or to report on the fraud. Uh, for example, if, if you've kept yourself aware of the fact that there are these email scams, 
um, then you're also very likely to immediately recognize that an email you just received has a number of the components of the email the fraudulent email that triggers that we mentioned just a little bit ago. Right. And you'll know to ignore it and delete it, where otherwise you might have checked it out and possibly yeah. exposed yourself to malware or get sucked into a scam. Yeah, and that's another thing is to make sure that you use antivirus software and anti, you know, anti-spam software yes. and, and, you know, all the uh, things that, that, you know, I have a computer consultant that helps me with my computers so that we are up to date on every kind of way that we could possibly protect. <laughs> very important. Yeah. Very important. It, it is. And, and it's not just scary. your computer, but your cell phone, yes. your, uh, your, your tablet, any any electronic device. Risk, yeah. yeah, it's just amazing. Well, let me ask you this. You know, what about friendly fraud? And let's talk a little bit about that um, because there, that's that's unfortunate when we have family or friendly fraud. So Absolutely. let's talk about Absolutely. that. Friendly fraud refers to when a perpetrator of a crime is someone who's known or is a close is, they're close to the family, they're a family friend. Um, they could be a neighbor. It could be a neighbor. It could be, uh, it could be a family member themselves. And unfortunately, all, it's all too common that frauds have that, that component to them. Family members, friends of your kids, people who you welcome into your home, people you trust. Um, and these are people who may already know a lot about you, know your assets, where you bank, Maybe they know your passwords or pins, likely to know when Hopefully you will be home. <laughs> and this is why it's important that you keep your personal papers, bank and medical statements, etc., out of sight, preferably un- under lock and key, yep. even at your home or in your private office. Right. Um, to shred documents with personal information before throwing them in the trash, and to make sure your kids and other household members are aware of this friendly fraud risk, you might want to establish some rules such as they should never let anyone who doesn't live in the house roam around by themselves and to make sure to let you know if they ever see anyone doing anything suspicious in your home or with your wallet or purse or in your car. And that if something does happen, remember, no one should be above suspicion. Right, right. But you don't want to walk around and, and accuse people. You just have to be very careful to watch them. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Let's talk about five things that about pe- that um, five things that people should think about to reduce their fraud. Just to give them like a quick quick overview. Sure. Yeah. If I were to try to roll them, there's so many. Uh, if I oh, try I to roll them into five general themes, I think they'd be um, first to realize that most fraud criminals are not looking for you. They're looking for a victim. An uh, easy prey, right? Well, yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, most rings gather hundreds, if not thousands, of pieces of information to launch a scheme. And if they get Five percent people responding to them—that's a great hit rate for them. And if they don't draw your information, or if they do draw your information, they contact you, but you recognize it's a scam. You don't respond. They're not going to come out to get you. They're not coming to seek revenge. So it's it's wise you can reduce the odds that you'll be found in a data breach, and also learn to recognize and ignore scams, and you'll have significantly reduced your payments fraud risk to begin with. Second, don't assume laws will protect you from fraud. You have to be personally proactive. Um, laws are needed for society to know how to, to uh, conduct themselves, and laws may allow for recovery of damages. But the reality is criminals are not dissuaded by the law. 
And if they're caught, few fraud victims get anything returned from the criminal. The best defense is a good offense. And so your best defense begins with you. And let me just add something there because I've been a sheriff reserve here in Orange County and I've been on the high-tech crime unit. And, and people get mad if law enforcement doesn't investigate. But you have to remember a couple things. Number one is this is such an epidemic that unless you come to them with all of the evidence on a silver platter, you know, with, with like, let's say you've gotten your credit reports and you show them, but don't give it to them. You show them and you type up what are the fraudulent accounts and you bring into them maybe applications that you were able to get from the creditors or you bring in other documentation from the IRS or whatever. If you bring that to them, they're more likely to investigate. But unless... Um, you bring them a lot. They just don't have the resources. And it's not their fault that you were the victim. And it may have been really the fault of the hospital that, um, you know, was not careful with its Mm -hmm. database or Mm -hmm. might be your bank and a dirty insider at your bank, which has happened many times. Or it, you know, it may be that neighbor that that stole your identity and committed crimes, and you're, you know, yes. arrested. So I think it's just really important not to blame law enforcement because they are not the ones that caused the cr- crime. And unless you do your work to put things together, you're just not going to get an investigation. Oh, oh, that's absolutely true. And in most the in most cases. Uh, virtually all cases, fraud happens quickly. The fraud operators take what they have gotten and they disappear. So by the time the information gets to law enforcement, they recognize they are not going to be able to find these people, that they're not going to have sufficient evidence to to convict these people, for, for to be prosecuted and to convict them. And so they need to concentrate on the crimes where there's a hope of catching the perpetrator. Yes. And that's why reporting is so important, uh, identifying it and coming to the, with information more quickly. Um, and, and I just need to say one other thing, that unless you get a police, you know, you can get a police report and, it, it has to be an identity theft report because if you don't get a police report, you cannot get all of the uh, the credit report will not be cleaned up and, and many of the creditors won't do anything. You have to have a police report and you have to have uh, documentation. Otherwise, they won't help you. And that is part of the law that we had with the, um, you know, our identity theft laws that that are made to help you get, you know, restitution or help you to get your life back, that you must get a police report, even if they don't investigate. It, absolutely. You have, you have to identify that, that it, is a, it is a legitimate situation. Right. Um, more usually somebody who is uh, committing a fraud and trying to, right. um, to to say that they were taken advantage of when in reality they know who did it right. or um, they're part of the fraud. You know, they're unlikely to be willing to, do, to put in a police report. So it's real important that you show good faith right. by going to the police and making that report. Right. Right. Uh, a few other things, Mari, that I wanted to mention. People need to know that recognize nothing is private on the internet. No matter right. what people tell you, everything is open to discovery, especially yeah. with the uh, the adeptness of the criminals today. Um, and to remember, we mentioned it a moment ago uh, that you need to protect not just your computer with the antivirus and anti anti spam and um, all of those protections, but you also need to do the same for your mobile devices, your cell phones, your tablets, because that informa- you, you probably have more information on those devices than you do even on your PC, 
and that in that device is always out in public so you have to take extra care with those devices and uh, fifth would be to protect your medical identity as vigilantly as your financial identity because the stakes there are even higher than than loss of, of wealth it could be loss of life of course i'd love to throw in a pitch to have everyone sign up for uh, the monthly newsletter and visit fraud avengers regularly for updates uh, but that would be six so yeah no that's great so we're just about out of time so why don't you just give that website and you're just wonderful jody you guys are doing such great work and we surely appreciate all you're trying to do to educate people to help them to really protect themselves so give your website thank you so much it's www.fraudadventures.org thank you so much and we will have you back again so please stay in touch thanks thank you so much okay bye-bye bye-bye You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.